All right, it's great to be here this morning. I have missed you these COVID years. Hopefully they are behind us. Well, it's great to see everybody, and I'm so thankful to have this opportunity to be here at church. And Nate, thank you for your kind words, and you know I feel the same about you and your family. And uh, Trinity is uh, just a special place for us. It's our home, and this is our home church. And I know some of you are newer. You've come since I left 10 years ago or nine and a half years ago. And so uh, I hope I have the chance to get to meet you and get to know you. And our plan is next fall, uh, Andrew, our youngest son, is graduating from high school this year. And so we'll be bringing him back to college. And we've decided to go ahead and take some extended time back in the States. And so we'll be here in the Amarillo area from probably July to December. And so we're planning on getting to spend time with you and get reacquainted and renew our friendships and look forward to having that time to be here uh, experiencing life with you together on this side of the world. Um, Let me say a word about Taiwan before I begin preaching. I know many of you are uh, aware of all the headlines right now that are uh, being put out about China and Um, just all of the activity that's going on there. And I just want to kind of put your hearts and minds at ease a little bit about that. I don't want you to worry about us too much. I wouldn't have left Krista and Andrew in Taiwan if I thought things were been in a bad way. But there's just a a lot of... uh, Taiwan has been experiencing this bullying from China for a long time, and it's not going to stop. Uh, there's just an a uptick, uptick in the news cycle right now that has um, made it appear that things are worse than they are. And they probably are a little bit worse than they are, but we're not in any, uh, we, don't, we don't feel like, the Taiwanese people do not feel like we're headed towards any kind of imminent conflict right now. So that being said, things can change. Uh, things uh, could go south. Uh, But we're prepared for that, and we'll be ready to leave if we need to when the time comes. But as long as the Lord wants us to be there serving, then we plan on doing that. We're looking forward to having Zach and Allison come over. I know they've been here serving with you now for a while, getting ready to come, and their their visa application is in Taipei right now as we speak, being processed, and so you'll want to be praying about that, that the Lord will grant that approval, and they can be on their way hopefully within the next month and be joining us back over there. I'm really glad to have this time in the States to be able to reconnect with people, and um, I appreciate the opportunity to preach this morning. It's always good to share God's word and to Mickey. Yep. And there's just so many friendly faces around the room, it's hard to, to not want to say hi to all of you. Well, I want to talk about Psalm chapter 1 today. That's what we're going to look at, Psalm chapter 1. It's one of the most well-known and important chapters in the Bible, one of my favorites. But before we jump into Psalm 1, I'd like to tell you, uh, I've been reading a book recently called 12 Ways Your Phone is Changing You. 12 Ways Your Phone is Changing You. If you like to read and you uh, are interested, I highly suggest you get this book and read it and pay attention to what it says. It's really got some interesting research and observations about the way that our digital life has affected our real life. I don't think any of us could have foreseen the incredible changes that were coming when Steve Jobs introduced the iPhone 
with the touch screen and that powerful little computer inside, which has only become more and more powerful. And now we have the iPhone 14 about to arrive in the next couple of weeks. You connect that device to the internet and add some apps to it. And we have a really powerful tool for both good and for bad. Let me give you some statistics. On average, Americans check their smartphones how many times a day? Do you have any idea? Again, this doesn't apply to everybody in the room, but statistically speaking. <laughs> All right, now, be careful. You're going to get yourself in trouble. 344 times a day. 340, once every four minutes, we're picking up our phones and checking them. 45% of people in a survey said that their most important possession, their most valuable possession was their smartphone. 45%, okay, that's not a small number. That's almost half of the US population. Just think about the last time you left your house without your phone. Did you go back and get it? Probably. It's a really important tool that it's become to us. What do we do on our cell phones? What do we do? Statistics tell us that the majority of our time is spent gaming. Actually, that's one of the highest uses of a smartphone is gaming. Looking at social media, it's the second highest. Listening to music and reading the news. So we use it for those things. On average, again, the average American spends 3.1 hours a day looking at their smartphone. 3.1 hours a day. I'll come back to that in just a little bit. Let's look at Psalm chapter one. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This psalm presents us with a choice, two paths, a fork in the road. One way is blessed and happy, and the other way is a tragic road of loss and ruin. The psalmist gives us a, a few questions or a few principles that we need to consider. So I'd like to work with you through those now. The first one is this, we need to know when to say no. We need to know when to say no. We in Western culture particularly tend to think of happiness as our ability to do things, our freedom. I'm happiest when I'm most free, we would say. But the psalmist says we're blessed or happy when we're restricted when we don't do certain things, when we don't walk in the counsel of the wicked, when we don't stand in the pathway of sinners, when we don't sit in the company of mockers. Sorry, I'm fighting a little bit of a 
upper respiratory cold, so if I pull out a cough drop, don't, don't think too much about it. He says, walk, stand, and sit. Walk, stand, and sit. These are the habits of life. Think about your day. You're either walking, standing, or sitting. The psalmist is trying to call attention to the fact that these are the regular things that we do every day, the habits of life. The counsel, the pathway, and the company. These are the people that you are listening to, the voices coming into your life. The wicked, the sinners, and the mockers. These are the company that you keep. So first, we're to avoid the counsel of the wicked. The wicked are mentioned four times in this psalm. It's difficult to avoid imitating and becoming like those we walk with daily. Be careful where you go, the people you listen to. Not all advice is good advice. And not all good advice is godly advice. Dear friends, in the Christian church, we are in danger of just giving people good advice and not godly advice. So be careful about that. Also, what are you listening to? What are you feeding yourselves with? This goes back to our smartphones and our devices and our TVs and all the media that we take in. Are you listening to good advice or are you listening to godly advice? Are you listening to the Lord's Lord's voice or are you listening to just man's opinions? We need to listen to God's advice, godly and wise counsel. What are you regularly listening to? In my church in Taichung, weekly I have a young person come up and say, oh, did you listen to so-and-so's latest podcast? And this person is generally not a Christian uh, and just gives some good thoughts. I mean, he has some good ideas, but he's not a Christian. It's just good advice. It's not godly advice. What are you spending your time on? The psalmist says, don't stand with sinners. The idea here is that of staying a while, stopping to look around and listen, hanging around, hanging out. The word pathway describes a way of life, the way someone lives. So your life begins to be changed and the patterns of your life change. So be careful who you are influenced by, the people that you're hanging out with. You will imitate those you spend the most time with. You will imitate those you spend the most time with. Don't sit with mockers or fools. The idea is that you become comfortable. When you sit with someone, you become comfortable with them. It's now your home, and the things of God don't matter so much anymore, and you can even begin to mock them. So the psalmist is giving us some wise counsel about what not to do, what not to do. So do you know when to say no? Now do you know when to say yes? Next, the psalmist gives us a plan and a promise for pursuing a life that pleases God and brings blessing and joy. He says, blessed is the person whose delight is in the Lord's instruction. The Lord's instruction. At the, at the least, the Lord's instruction is what? The Ten Commandments. Jesus' great command, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. The love one another's that are found throughout the New Testament. And the whole counsel of God. Why doesn't the psalmist just say, Listen, do this, don't do this. Do this, 
don't do this. Why does he say that the blessed person meditates on these things? He says the blessed person meditates on these things. He doesn't say the blessed person does these things. He says the blessed person meditates on these things. Joshua 1.8 says, this book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. You are to meditate on it day and night so that you may carefully observe everything written in it. For then you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. Meditate on it. What does he mean by meditate? To meditate means to think over something by talking to oneself. It's taking a truth or taking an idea and rehearsing it over and over in your mind. Let me give you some examples. Some of you, uh, do we have any video gamers in the room? All right, we got some video gamers. I got you. When you get a new video game, and I'm not knocking video games, by the way, because all of us have some form of entertainment that we enjoy in life, okay? So this is not a knock on video games. When you get a new video game, you spend time with it. You learn its ways. You find out the secrets. You explore it. You discover all the things that you can do to master it. You're meditating on it. Some people are that way with sports. They know everything about a particular team. They spend time thinking about that team and what will happen if the team does this or if they put this player in or if they you know, do that. They go to the games, they learn the stats. In Taiwan, where I live, uh, we, uh, baseball is really big and our apartment is right next to the, one of the big national baseball stadiums and so we regularly have uh, baseball games and we'll go over there sometimes for a baseball game. Every player has their own cheer. So when that player gets up to bat, they have a special set of music and the cheerleaders have a, you know, thing like that they do. And you can go on YouTube and the fans do this. You go on YouTube and you learn the cheers. So when your favorite player gets up, you stand up with the cheerleaders and you do the, you know, whatever. It's, it's so fun. Our baseball games are a little bit different than you guys. It's really fun. Some people are that way with a particular TV or movie franchise or a book series. They meditate on the characters. They meditate on the storylines. They think about these things. I have a guy in my church who just loves Star Wars. Anything about Star Wars. He's an, he just thinks about it constantly. And he'll come up to me after church and he'll say, what if it were to end this way? as opposed to the ending that they made in the movie. I'm like, why do you care? Why, why, just go with what they did. It's okay, it's a good ending. We don't need to change anything. And I would argue that many of us use our cell phones or our media as meditation. We spend time meditating on that little screen, either gaming, scrolling through social media, reading the news or whatever, but we are devoting significant amounts of time to it. We're delighting and meditating on the things that we love. That's really what's happening. The psalmist says, and actually throughout the Bible, we're taught that God's followers, his true followers will delight in, will love, will meditate on his word. How much would we be transformed just think about the spiritual growth that would occur in your life if we took just some of that brain power 
that we used on our phones or on our games or on some other activity and used it to meditate on the Bible, used it to meditate on the Lord Jesus. The psalmist says that the person who meditates on God's word, he is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither, whatever he does prospers. The psalmist says that this person is fruitful and prosperous. The writer of the psalm would have lived in a desert landscape. So a beautiful, leafy, green, fruit-bearing tree located by a stream of water would have been really striking in that environment. This kind of life, the meditative life, bears fruit. What's the psalmist thinking of here? Perhaps blessings to others? A tree that bears fruit brings pleasure and nourishment to those that find it. Likewise, our lives in serving God will bring pleasure and nourishment to those around us. Whatever he does prospers. Does this mean a life of wealth and prosperity for those who follow God's ways? I'm not sure that's what the psalmist has in mind, but he does have something in mind when he uses that word. I think it is this idea that a life devoted to God will bring a prosperity of a spiritual kind, a prosperity of happiness and joy which does not rise and fall with worldly wealth. We say yes to some things. We say yes to some people. You could rewrite the first section of this psalm to go something like this. Blessed is the person whose habits, walking, standing, and sitting are in the path and the company of the godly, the righteous, and the hopeful. The psalmist is telling us this truth. Our relationships are important. Who we surround ourselves with makes a difference not only for the quantity of life we have, but the quality of life we share. That means the church is important. That's why I'm so glad to see you here this morning. Gathering as a church body is so important and getting involved in Bible fellowship groups or whatever we call them these days or small groups is is really valuable because we get to be up against other people and influenced by other people who care about the same things that we care about, who care about God's word. There's a warning in this Psalm. The wicked are not so. The old King James says it this way, not so the wicked, but they are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The wicked are not like the ones who meditate on the word of the Lord. They have no chance to grow into a fruit-bearing tree planted by a life-giving stream. They're like chaff. Do you know what chaff is? What the writer's describing here? If you go to Texas Roadhouse and you get the peanuts, when you crack the peanut open, the peanut nut, is that the way to say that? I don't know. The nut inside the shell has that papery thin husk around it, that's chaff. That's the chaff. And so the writer here is talking about harvesting grain. And grain, when it grows, also has a husk around it. Wheat, grains like that. And so the farmer would bring the grain into the threshing floor, or the thrashing floor is what it was originally called. And they would thrash the grain, which would separate the 
grain kernel from the chaff, that husk, and then they would throw it up into the air and the slightest wind would blow that chaff away. It was worthless. It wasn't, it wasn't of nutritional value. It had no value to anything at all. And so they just wanted it gone so they could take the grain. The psalmist is drawing a very clear distinction here. One type of life has weight and is useful, while another type of life is weightless and useless. He says, the wicked will not stand in the judgment. They will not survive. They won't make it. So, who is like this person? Who is a Psalm 1 person, a man or woman? Would you put yourself in that category? I wouldn't. I read this Psalm and I find myself falling short. When I think about the description the psalmist gives of this righteous, fruit-bearing person who is like this, I, I don't measure up. I want to grow in that. There's only one person in the Bible who measured up, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Psalm 1 man. Listen to this psalm with him in mind. How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction and he meditates on it day and night. He's like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Jesus did something for us on our behalf that we were unable to do for ourselves. Jesus did stand up in the judgment. Where you and I would have failed, he succeeded. Because he was righteous, he had no sin to atone for. He lived a perfect life and could stand before God sinless, offering himself as a perfect sacrifice on our behalf. And now he stands in the assembly of the righteous, And because of what Jesus has done, now, because of what Jesus has done, you and I can become Psalm 1 people. There is a way for you and I to become a Psalm 1 person. We can be transformed by meditating on his word. It's not something we do, as I mentioned earlier. The psalmist doesn't give us a list of things to do He says, meditate. By meditating on what's been done for us, we're transformed into a life of beauty and blessing. Let me ask you a a few questions. Do any of you like art museums? Anybody here like going to art museums? Okay, a few people. Not really an art crowd in this group. First service was much more artistic. Any of you enjoy the outdoors are going out into nature. Yeah, okay, now we got the outdoor crowd in this group, all right. Anybody enjoy music, listening to music? Okay, we got a music crowd. Love going to the ocean? Yeah, I like going to the ocean. What do you do at an art museum? Nothing. I'm really not trying to make a joke. 
But you don't. You sit and look. You take it in. You enjoy the beauty. What do you do when you go outdoors? Now, you can hike and bike and do all those things. I, I get that. But to really enjoy the outdoors, it's just, you just enjoy it. You just capture the beauty. Music, when you listen to music, like we've sung this morning, you get caught up in it and it, it carries you somewhere. But you're not really doing anything. You're being transformed by it. You're meditating. All of these things are meditating. We meditate because when we're exposed to beauty, we become more beautiful. When we're exposed to beauty, we become more beautiful. Only by meditating on the Lord Jesus Christ himself can you be transformed into a Psalm 1 person. We don't work harder as Christians. We believe deeper. We see Jesus. We see his substitutionary perfect life. We see that he lived the life that we should have lived. He never failed. He always said the right thing. He always did the right thing. He always thought the right thing. In every instance where we fail in those ways, Jesus was perfect. We see that and we marvel at it. He died a perfect death, a substitutionary death on our behalf. Because before we come to Christ, we have rejected God. We've thumbed our nose at him. And there's a penalty for that. But Jesus took the penalty for our sin. So we meditate on that. We meditate on the cross. That's why we take communion. Communion is a meditative act where we remember the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. We remember his resurrection. The confirmation that God has accepted his sacrifice on our behalf. And he can take us to heaven now. So we meditate on those things and it changes us from the inside out so that we want to follow his footsteps. So that we do become the people that God wants us to be. That's what it means to be a Christian. I want to end with just a challenge. There's two kinds of people here today. There are Christians and not yet Christians. You're either in one of those camps. Neither is uh, something to be ashamed of. If you're a Christian, I want to challenge you. Meditate on the Lord Jesus Christ. See your life flourish like this Psalm 1 tells us it will. Grow in him. Claw back some of that time that you're spending on other pursuits and give it to the Bible. Give it to God's word. God will reward you. He will transform you from the inside out. By gazing upon his beauty, you yourself will become more beautiful. If you're not yet a Christian, I actually have the same challenge for you. 
I invite you to look at the Lord Jesus Christ. I invite you to gaze upon him and meditate on him for a few moments and see that he is everything that you need. You've been trying to live your life your own way and maybe even had some success at it, but ultimately you're failing. Ultimately, you need a savior. You know it. Deep down inside, where no one else sees, you know that your relationship with God is broken and it needs repair. And you can't fix it by doing good works. Just like the psalmist says, you can't fix it by doing things. But it can be fixed by the Lord Jesus Christ. If you will repent of your sins and put your faith in him today, he will save you and you can join the Christians. I invite you to do that today. I'm gonna pray. Whatever decision the Lord has for you to make, perhaps you wanna join with this church, Nate will be down here at the front. Perhaps you have a decision for Christ that you wanna make. Maybe you need to just kneel at the altar or maybe you just stay where you are and, and make a commitment to the Lord. Whatever decision you have to make, you make it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for your word, which is so beautiful and powerful to help us, to heal us, to guide us. So I pray that the words today, if there's any good in them, will be used for the good of this church to help them grow in grace and wisdom and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray for every person here today, for those who are Christians and those who are not yet Christians, that we will all take a moment to meditate on the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ and then offer him our response. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.